Hey, good morning, Grace Hill Church. Hope you guys are doing well and everyone else uh, tuning in. We're just glad that you've gathered uh, with us uh, this morning for worship. And for all of you who are doing the Healthy Soul Challenge and you're tracking through everything that we're sending you from the guided meditations to the reflections that we've been sending you, um, I've been so encouraged by the feedback that we've been getting from people on how this has just been uh, such a good experience for them and really why talking through why their souls needed the permission, really the excuse uh, to take an hour a day and, and spend it with uh, the Lord. Sometimes having that time of silence is uh, harder to get, and there's lots of distractions and, and many things throughout our days uh, that we need to give our attention to. But I've been so encouraged by those of you uh, working through this uh, challenge and excited to continue in teaching on this uh, this morning. Um, my name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill. And so if this is your first time uh, tuning in with us or you've been checking us out for a while, um, just want to welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope one day uh, I'll be able to meet you. Uh, but before we jump into the scriptures this morning, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we're just so thankful for this morning. We're thankful to have another Sunday where we can gather even virtually uh, to sing and to open up your scriptures and to be encouraged and to see what you have to teach us. And God, I pray this morning you would do just that, that as we read your word, you would encourage our souls, instruct our souls, meet us, Lord, in the place where, Lord, we we need to be built up. Um, Lord, if there are people who are discouraged, who are lonely, who are bitter or cynical, uh, God, I pray this morning as we dig into Psalm 73 that, Lord, you would um, build them up in a very uh, unique and specific way this morning. Uh, Lord, remind us of how much you care for us and you love us this morning. We ask for that. I pray you'd be with me as I teach God, help me just to teach accurately to your scriptures, uh, to give honor and glory to you, Lord, through this. And uh, Lord, um, even though we can't be together, uh, Lord, would you encourage your church this morning? We love you. And in Jesus' name, uh, amen. Um, it's a true statement that God is good to his people. Truly, God is good to, to all of his people, to all of the people that follow him, that trust in him. Of course, God blesses them immensely. But what about me? But as for me, is that true for, for me? Let's be honest, I don't always live my life in the way that God wants me to live. I'm not like those people who are pure in heart, disciplined, a servant attitude, spiritual. I often live life questioning if God is even there. And if he is there, why do I struggle so much on the inside despite all of my efforts to trust and to follow him, to have joy in him? 
I look at some people who, who don't follow Jesus and they just seem to be so much more free. And there are times that I envy them. Or, or I look at all the injustice in the world and I just get bitter. Why does all this injustice happen? Why do all these bad things happen? And I see things like the, the senseless killing of Ahmaud Arbery. And, and, and then there are people who claim to follow God who are trying to defend the fact that this somehow was a, a justified thing that occurred. And I see things like that and I just get bitter in my spirit or all the misinformation campaign and the dirty politics in our town. And it just takes me off and I get sick of it, right? Why, God, do you allow these things to happen? And then there are times where I just feel completely alone. Am I the only Christian out there that struggles with this stuff? Do I try and follow Jesus and obey his word and keep my way pure and trust in him all in vain? Is this all for nothing? And I'm a pastor. People look to me for spiritual strength. People expect me to live a certain way and not to struggle with certain things. And if I were to say these things out loud and to admit to these struggles, I would betray the very people I lead. Or maybe you feel that way. I'm a mom, I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, a wife, I'm an elder, I'm a deacon, I'm a leader in the church, I'm a, I'm a Christian. If I'm honest about the turmoil inside my heart, the cynicism that's in there, the bitterness, the struggle, the doubt, there are people that I will disappoint if they knew that about me. There are people that I will betray. They'll be surprised. So, so here's what we do. Pretend the struggle is not there. Wrestle with it in the privacy of your own heart and mind. Seek to try to understand these things all on your own. Figure it out. Display strength on the outside, even though on the inside there might be anger and cynicism, and, and you're just ready to throw in the towel. So let me ask you a question. When when God says, cast your anxieties onto me because I care for you, First Peter 5. Or come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, Matthew 11. Can I cast the anxiety of cynicism and doubt and bitterness on him? Can I come to God with frustration and questioning his goodness? Can I come to God in, in the honest truth that sometimes I wonder if he's worth following? Can I come to God in utter emotional mess? Can I come to God cold as ice? Can I come to God with the stuff that I can't talk about to other people, the stuff that I'm uncomfortable talking about, the stuff that people have used against me in the past? Can I come to God with that stuff? Does God only care about the small anxieties of the more mature Christians 
and to us less mature, less pure, torn up inside Christians, are our anxieties too foolish, too immature, too sacrilegious for God? Do we need to graduate to a more put together type of Christian in order for God to accept our anxieties and to give us this rest from being weary that he talks about? Can you enter the most holy place, the the sanctuary of God and cast the anxieties of your soul onto God that you're, you're too embarrassed to talk about? Can God handle that real mess inside of you? Uh, This morning, we're in part three of the Healthy Soul series. And in this series, we're just evaluating the state of our souls. Uh, this, This pandemic has given us some pause in our life, some disruption in our life. And we just thought, let's leverage this into evaluate, is my lifestyle healthy? Do I have a healthy relationship with Jesus. And so we've been encouraging you to to do the the healthy soul challenge, which is to basically slow down. We're helping you to slow down and spend more time in G, uh, with Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to create space in your life where you can actually cast some of these anxieties in your heart upon Jesus. Because if we're honest, most of us, if not all of us, live our lives at such a pace where we really don't allow ourselves to do this. But if you've been doing your daily hour with Jesus, and if you've been going through the meditations, and if you've been working on, you know, sitting in silence, if you've worked through the reality check reflection we sent you a week ago, one thing you might be struggling with is the difference between the the stress and anxieties in your life that are on the surface and you're willing to talk about them and the stress and the anxieties in your life that are much deeper, much more problematic, much more foundational to what you believe and you're less willing to talk about them or to give them credibility in your life. Here's what I mean. When we come to God focused in prayer, uh, when we're spending our daily hour with God, or even when we're spending time with other brothers and sisters in Christ and we're sharing with each other about how things are going, trying to encourage each other. Many times, and for many of us, the kind of anxieties and struggles that we'll give voice to um, and, and we'll seek to, to cast upon God and we'll kind of bring to God our anxieties and struggles like this. Um, I'm really struggling to have contentment at work. I, I need prayer for that. Or I'm, I'm worried about this particular loved one and, and, and because they're ill and I, I want prayer for that. Or I want to be more bold in sharing the gospel with my neighbors. Or I want to be more disciplined in reading the Bible and I need help with that. And, and here's the deal. Those are legitimate, valid anxieties, struggles, uh, a prayer request that God cares deeply about and wants to help you with and your church family cares deeply about and wants to help you with. But it's kind of, it's like these kinds of struggles exist on one layer of your soul. 
And it's this layer where we're actually willing to shed some light into that. We're willing to give voice to that and expose those anxieties to God and to others. But there is this other layer of the soul, a little bit deeper, where some thoughts, some beliefs, some anxieties, some struggles exist that we're not willing to expose. Things like, God, I don't even know if I believe in you. Or, God, that person who hurt me, why have you not punished them yet? Why are you blessing them? God, why did you let this happen? I'll never forgive you for allowing this to happen. You say you're sovereign. You say you're good. Doesn't compute in my head. God, it seems like those who don't follow you are are happy and they're free. I kind of sometimes wish I could be free of you, God. God, I don't even want to be a parent anymore. I don't even know if I want to be married anymore. God, I I don't know if I want this life that you've given me anymore. I feel like I'm done with it. Maybe that's there. Or God, I just feel worthless. And everywhere I go, I feel like an imposter. And it's these things on this layer of the soul that if we're going to come into the presence of God, we feel we need to cover those up because they're beneath what God would tolerate. These aren't the kind of anxieties that God wants us to cast upon them because these anxieties are directly offensive to God. So if we're gonna share with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're gonna go and we're gonna pray to God, then then we need to cover this layer of our soul up. And here's why we cover up this layer of the soul. Because for every one of those anxieties, we know what the right answer is. We know what the right answer is, right? We have truth in our head. That's a good thing that we subscribe to in our minds. But what happens is it renders the struggle, the anxiety, the feeling of our heart invalid, right? So I struggle being mad at God for letting something bad happen to me. But I know this truth that says that God is good and he works all things together for those who love him are called according to his purpose. And I just need to be patient and trust God. So this truth in my head invalidates the struggle in my heart. Or I'm struggling in my marriage right now and I want out. Well, I know in my head that God, you know, it hates divorce and this is a covenant lifelong commitment and divorce isn't an option and all those things. So this truth in my head validates the struggle of my heart. Or I'm struggling with comparing myself to every single person that I see. My heart is just constantly comparing, comparing, comparing. But I know in my head I'm a child of God and God loves me and I, and I am full of value and all those things. So the truth in my head invalidates the heart. And so if I go to God and I unveil these struggles, well, of course, God isn't going to want me to cast those anxieties onto him. I already know the answer. I know better. So it's up to me to somehow deal with what's going on in the heart. 
If I go to my community with these struggles and I admit to these, they're just going to say back to me the things that I already know. So I have to cover this deep layer of shame in my soul because it's proof that my heart is in a different place than what I know to be true in my head and God or others won't understand. And so this morning, I want to talk about what it means to be in the presence of God and what God requires of us in his presence and what God will do with us in his presence. And if you've been doing the Healthy Soul Challenge, we've been setting aside time every single day to be in the presence of God, to read his word, to pray, to sit in silence and listen, to cast our anxieties onto him. And this morning, my hope is that we'll all learn a bit more what it really means to be in his presence and to cast our true anxieties upon him. And to do this, we're going to go along for a ride with a a guy named Asaph. Uh, And what Asaph is going to do is he's going to give us a glimpse into his soul. Not the first layer of his soul where the more respectable anxieties and struggles lie, but the deeper level of his soul where true shame actually exists, where there's no sugarcoating anything. It's all raw. Nothing is worded right in that layer of the soul, just raw emotion in there. And Asaph is going to bring all of that muck in that layer of his soul into the presence of God. And I want us to see what happens. And so open your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 73. This is one of my absolute favorite Psalms. And we're going to read, we're going to study together this entire Psalm, Psalm 73. But uh, right now I'm just going to read verses 1 to 16. So let's read this together. Psalm 73, 1 to 16. Asaph says this, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I wanted to be like those who didn't follow God. For they have no pangs until death. They don't suffer. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're healthy and strong. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Man, I want to be rich like the world. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? They mock God in the midst of their injustice. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. It's like the psalmist is struggling between judging these people 
being embittered by these people and wanting to be them at the same time. Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. The psalmist is saying, all in vain, God, have I been following you and trying to obey your word. I look at the world and they seem to have a much easier life. And look at me here, stricken every single morning. Is this worth it? Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. In other words, he's saying, if I would have said these things out loud so others could hear, I would have betrayed them. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. We are in the deeper level of Asaph's soul here where all the muck and bitterness and cynicism and doubt exists. And you can see how he struggles with this idea. Am I the only one? We saw that in, right? Truly God is good to Israel, but as for me, I don't know. I think it's different for me. I'm the exception when it comes to all the muck that's inside of me. I look out to everyone else in the church and they all seem to be holding it together just fine. It seems like following Jesus is easy for them. They don't really struggle with the crazy things that I'm struggling with. I must be the only one. He also struggles with the question if following God is worth it. Look at verse 14. He says that. So if obeying God and depriving himself of the things is, is of the world, is that worth it? He looks at the people of the world. They're free of God. And he asks, have I been doing this all in vain? And he's also struggling with the belief that he can't voice this. These struggles to other people. Verse 15. I, I really like the New Living Translation uh, of, of verse 15, where it says this. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Your people, if they would have found out what was inside my heart, they would have called me a traitor. If I would tell others what's really going on, it's not going to go well for me. I'll be the outsider. Maybe you felt this way before. If I share in the church what's really going on, in, going on inside of me, at best, it's going to be awkward. And at worst, I'm going to get rebuked. Now, I don't need to convince you that this place of shame in your soul exists. But before we move forward in the psalm, I, I want to just do a, an exercise with you. All right. So here's what I need you to do. Just, just do this right now. Just, just bow your head, close your eyes. And we need to, I want you to visualize something. I need to do this because this exercise only really works if we're all in a room together at the same time and we're not all in the room together at the same time. So I need us all to close our eyes and pretend uh, that we are, all right? So let's just pretend we're all gathered together in a church building. We're all in the seats and, and, we're, and you're looking up and you see me at the pulpit. I'm preaching a sermon just like we're doing right now but just pretend you're at church. With your eyes closed, I just want you to, in your head, visualize looking to your left and your right. Who are you sitting next to in church? I want you to imagine the people that in your head, you see them as they, man, they have, they have it all together. 
These are the mature Christians, right? I mean, everything they do is right. These are the true, pure in heart, model Christian. Who are those people sitting next to you? Visualize them sitting there, looking up at the pulpit as well, listening to a sermon, probably furiously taking notes because you know they're the model Christian. As you look at them, I want you to know this about them. That person has a deep place in their soul, full of anxiety and struggle and shame, just like you do. Full of the belief that they are the only one full of the belief that they cannot say what's in their soul out loud. They believe they have to hide this from God and from you because they have been telling themselves over and over again that they know better. They know the answer, so they should be able to deal with it themselves. And they have been trying to understand and deal with what is in that place. And they are weary. Just like you are. And just like Asaph was in Psalm 73. All right, keep your eyes closed. Just listen to me. You are not the only one. That is a lie. You are not alone with all the muck inside of your soul. There's no need to pretend We all have these deep areas of shame that we wrestle with. I have been in ministry way too long now to the point where no one could ever convince me. There's not one human being on this planet who could convince me that they don't have this kind of baggage deep in their soul. They just don't. I promise you, you will never convince me ever. Your pastor has these things in his soul. And you can't have a healthy soul unless you uncover it and cast it upon God. You can open your eyes. What we see in Psalm 73 is that what Asaph does is he he takes the rawness and the shame of his soul into the sanctuary of God. That's what he does. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. He said this, but when I thought how to understand all of this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, what does Asaph mean here by the word sanctuary? All right, this is the the Hebrew word mikdash. It literally means a, a sacred and holy place. So during the writing of this Psalm, Asaph is most certainly thinking about worshiping and offering sacrifices at the temple. That's where the true sanctuary would be, the most holy place where the presence of God is. And so think about this. We're talking about someone taking the deepest, darkest, dirtiest thoughts and struggles and bringing them to God in the most sacred, righteous, holy place. 
right? The recoil that we feel when we think about presenting these raw areas of shame to God is actually a rightfully instinctual recoil, right? God is not just our buddy, right? He's not just our homeboy that we can kick it with, right? The Bible describes God as as holy, a consuming fire. He's almighty. He speaks and things are created. He speaks and things can be destroyed, right? So when Moses approaches God in the form of a burning bush, what does God do? Right, immediately God says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground you're staying on. And so we think, I can't bring the worst and most shameful part of me before a holy God in the sanctuary. That wouldn't be appropriate. God doesn't want my worst. God wants my best. And that's actually a true thought. But at the same time, God is love and he desires to see broken people made whole. A holy, righteous God who is also compassionate and empathetic. And it was, it's the intersection of these attributes of God, his holiness and his love where the gospel was born. Where God makes a way where we can be declared holy and righteous, perfect in his sight so that we can come before him and bring all of that muck that we're struggling with in our souls and cast it upon him. All right, look at what Hebrews 10 says about how we can enter the sanctuary, the most holy place. Look at this. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, the the sanctuary where God's presence is. We can enter that because of the blood of Jesus. It does not say because you have dealt with the muck in the deep parts of your soul. It does not say because you have figured out how to bridge what's in your head and what your heart feels. It says because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, verse 20, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. It's a new way in. It's not the old way where perfection through the law could potentially get you in. No, it's a new way, the only way through the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, that's Jesus, let us go right on in to the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For look at this, our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. That deep place of your soul has been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus to make you clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. I mean, think about this. Nick just read this in the call to worship from Psalm 24. I think it was Psalm 24. And it asked the question, right? Who can ascend the holy hill? Who can enter the sanctuary of God? And it said the pure in heart and the righteous and without the blood of Jesus, that ain't us. 
But with the blood of Jesus sprinkled onto us, we are now clean because we now have the righteousness of Jesus upon us. And all of our sin has been forgiven. And so our guilty consciences are now purified. They can now enter the sanctuary of God because of what Christ has done. All right, so so here's the key. Got to get this, all right? Just because the deep place of shame in our souls has been sprinkled clean, because it has been with the blood of Jesus, that doesn't mean that the struggles are all gone. Are we going to separate these out? The struggles are still there, but what it now means is that you can cast those anxieties, the real anxieties, the the ones you're most ashamed about onto God. You can bring them into his presence and you won't offend his holiness. Think about that for a second. You are now in a place because you have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus where you you can now go into the presence of God with all your stuff and you won't offend the holiness of God. No need to fear punishment or God's wrath, but rather we can now expect the tender care of a loving father. Right, my son Leland uh, just turned six. And one thing I've noticed with him lately is that when he does something accidentally that he thinks he might get in trouble for or might make mommy or daddy upset with him, he gets real shy and real quiet, kind of embarrassed. And so when I try to talk to him about what happened, he won't talk to me. He's he's afraid of what's going to happen. And, And so what I need to say to him and what I end up doing, I tell him, I reassure him, buddy, hey, daddy's not mad at you. You're not in trouble. You're not going to be in trouble. Just tell me what happened so we can talk about it. And it's at that point when he has that assurance from me as his father that he begins to tell me what happened. And in the same way, the gospel of Jesus Christ provides us the assurance that we are loved, accepted, and made clean through Jesus so that we can offer to God our whole hearts with radical vulnerability, right? Through the gospel and as a child of God, you have access to the sanctuary of God at all times. That's what Hebrews 10 just said. Enter boldly into God's presence. You have access. Uh, Ephesians chapter two puts it this way in verse six where it says this, for God raised us from the dead along with Christ. And look at this and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus, right? You are seated with Jesus next to God in the heavenly realms. That's the access that you have now to God because of the blood of Jesus. God is always available to you now in the most holy place through prayer because Christ has opened up the way and God has seated us in the same place where Christ is. And there is not a thought, a struggle, a belief that you may be wrestling with that will close that curtain or revoke that seat. I need to say that again, because some of you don't believe this. There is not a thought that you have, a struggle that you have, or a belief that you have 
that you're wrestling with right now that is gonna close that curtain or revoke that seat if you admit to it. You can't be cynical enough, stubborn enough for that curtain to be closed or that seat to be revoked. There is not one thing inside of you that you must hide or you must cover up when you enter the sanctuary because Christ has finished his work and sprinkled you clean. Through the gospel, God is radically patient with you, radically patient with you. And so when we come into the presence of God through prayer, when we spend time with God during our, our daily hour, God is not interested in a religious act. God isn't interested in what you're still trying to, to prove to him. He's interested in what you're still trying to cover up in the deep places of your soul. He doesn't need you to package it up and present it in some mature way. He knows more about it than you do. All right, just like Asaph here in Psalm 73, he wants the raw, honest thoughts and anxiety cast, thrown upon him. I mean, think about it here for a second. When we refuse to bring to God the deepest and darkest parts of our soul, when we pray, when we try and act like we're someone different, when we pray, that's actually an expression of disbelief and lack of faith in the gospel. It's not an expression of maturity. But when we bring to God everything that we're struggling with, now we're actually putting our faith in Christ who has cleansed us and what he did on the cross. And if we continue in Psalm 73, Look at what happens to Asaph when he brings all of that into the sanctuary of God. Starting in verse 16, it says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a, a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. So, so God now is gonna meet him with discernment and understanding Verse 18, he says, truly you set them, this is the rich and arrogant, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He's reminded that it's not better to be apart from God. Verse 21, and then God's gonna lead him in repentance here. He says, when my soul was embittered, because it was, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. The psalmist admits, God, I allowed my heart to get a place of bitterness. And you know what? He needed to bring that bitterness to God for God then to instruct him in it and to help him with it. It wasn't avoiding bringing that to God. It was bringing the bitterness to God where now Asaph is led into repentance. God can be trusted with the areas of our heart and the feelings that we think will be offensive to him. He wants to lead us in the right way. Verse 23, and look what he's gonna do now. God's gonna give him assurance. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. I'm yours and I'm never going to be not yours. 
Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. He's reminded of how much his soul longs for God and not the things of the world. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. They have failed, they will fail. My flesh and my heart, my mind and my heart, they might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is the one who secures me. He is the one who cleanses me. He is the one who holds me and will never let go. It's not me holding on to God. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Asaph brings all this stuff in his soul to God and he's met with discernment and understanding. God leads him in repentance. He deals with the stuff in his heart and he assures him that he is the strength of his life. Asaph brings the deep places of his soul into the sanctuary of God and God leads and guides and shepherds his soul towards peace. He doesn't reject Asaph and the thoughts of his heart. He takes them seriously and he cares deeply for them. Listen, this is what you need to get from this morning. God cares deeply. He takes seriously the struggles of your soul and he stands ready to care for them deeply. In his mind, they're not invalidated. He stands ready to shepherd your soul towards peace and to care for them deeply. And so will you begin to allow your time with the Lord, your daily hour or whatever other time you spend with God, will you begin to allow that time to be one where you plunge into the deepest parts of your soul and you cast it upon God? It doesn't have to be packaged, doesn't have to be worded right. Your soul cannot be healthy without a gracious shepherd and guide. And you have that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. No more hiding, no more covering up, no more pretending with God. Let's begin to develop a practice of not just slowing down and spending time with God, but letting God into what is really going on inside of the deepest parts of our souls. Let me pray that God would help us in that right now. Father, this morning, um, I just, I, I feel that, Lord, there are people listening to this sermon right now who, Lord, when they, when they think of, um, what they're struggling with, when they think of what's really going on inside of their souls, they, they can't fathom the idea of praying about that, of bringing it to you, of sharing it with others. Lord, we've been so conditioned in so many ways that we need to present ourselves as different than who we really are. And God, that's not the case with you. We don't need to do that. You know us more than we know ourselves. And so God, teach us about ourselves as we pray, meet us in those deep places. Give us guidance and wisdom 
Lead us to repentance where we need repentance. Lead us, Lord, in assurance that you are our strength. We are not our own strength. God, help us to trust the gospel. Not on the surface, but in the deepest areas of our souls to believe that you have sprinkled our guilty consciences clean. You have seated us in the heavens along with Christ. You long to guide and shepherd our hearts in this life. God, teach us what it means to cast our anxieties on you. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.